Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the second quarter 2021 results conference call. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Mr. Philip Burns. Please go ahead, Mr. Burns. Thank you, operator, and good morning, everyone. Before we begin, let me remind everybody that during our conference call this morning, we may include forward-looking statements about our future financial and operating results. I direct your attention to slide two and our other regulatory filings. Joining me today is our CFO, Stephen Coe. After I provide an update on our operational progress during the quarter, Stephen will provide an overview of our financial results and position. We are very pleased to present to you today another quarter of strong operating performance, which we concluded with two acquisitions of multi-residential properties in the Netherlands that kickstarted our 2021 external growth. In combination with our acquisitions completed during the third and fourth quarter of 2020, we have grown our residential suite count by 552 units across 10 properties, representing an increase of 10% compared to the second quarter of 2020. The fair value of our total investment property portfolio over the same time period increased by an even greater 15% to 1.562 billion euros at June 30th, 2021 magnifying the high quality of our properties as well as the ongoing strong and favorable market dynamics in the Dutch residential sector. This resulted in a significant fair value gain of 34.9 million euros, which we recognized during the three months into June 20th. Our market capitalization and public flow also continue to trend upward, both increasing by 6% compared to the same period of last year. However, there continues to be a disconnect between the unit price and intrinsic value, despite the strong fundamentals in our portfolio. Slide 5 contains an overview of our business development during the second quarter of 2021, starting with the fair value of our investment properties increasing to just over $1.5 billion at June 30th, as I just mentioned, which is comprised of $1.45 billion in the multi-residential properties and $0.11 billion euros in commercial properties located in Germany, Belgium, and the Netherlands. This also includes our two newest acquisitions of multi-residential properties in the Netherlands, which both closed on June 30th, 2021, comprising an aggregate 137 residential suites as well as ancillary commercial and parking space required for a combined purchase price of 47 million euros, excluding costs and fees. The terms of financing activity, in terms of financing activity and liquidity, the acquisitions were funded using existing sources of liquidity via incremental drawdown of our credit facilities to be replaced with long-term mortgage financing that will be secured during the upcoming third quarter of 2021. With the remaining unused capacity on our credit facilities at June 30th, Combined with the cash on hand and the 165 million euros available to use via the pipeline agreement, ERES still has over 200 million in immediately available liquidity. Our strong operating results this quarter translated through to our key metrics with FFO per unit and AFFO per unit of 0.038 euros and 0.033 euros respectively, 
recognized for the quarter ended June 20, 2021. Slide 6 contains a high-level overview of key characteristics of our latest two acquisitions, which closed at the end of the most recent quarter. The Villa property, located at Zelperweg, east of the city of city center of Arnhem in the eastern region of the Netherlands, is comprised of 104 residential units, each with a corresponding parking space, as well as ancillary commercial space. The property was fully rented in 2019 and is 100% owned by eRes. As at 30th of June, it was 99% occupied and 98% liberalized. Most of the units are leased in the mid-market sector, providing good potential for organic rental growth. In addition, almost all remaining regulated units are eligible for liberalization upon turnover, providing further potential for incremental uplifts of rent upon conversion. The D-Horizon property, located in the Oostenburg district of Amsterdam, is a newly built multi-residential property comprised of 33 residential units. The property is similarly 100% owned by ERES, and 100% of the units are liberalized. As a new, new development, the property was entirely vacant upon acquisition, and leasing initiatives are underway with good momentum. We expect to have the building fully leased by the end of October. Both properties are strategically well-located near a significant portion of ERES's existing portfolio, allowing for operational efficiencies and synergies with the properties being managed by ERES-M, our existing asset and property manager in established in the Netherlands. Slide 7 provides some statistics on our current residential portfolio. Average occupied monthly rents were 865 euros as of June 30th, representing an increase of 4% versus Q2 2020. Residential occupancy decreased to 98% at June 30th compared to 98.8% at June 30th, 2020. However, 26% of vacancy is attributable to our recently acquired newly built property that was entirely vacant upon acquisition. As mentioned earlier, we plan to have it fully leased by the end of October. The majority of the remaining residential vacancy in the current period is due to renovation. As of June 30, 2021, 67 residential units were under renovation, representing 53% of the total vacancy. Upon completion of this renovation, a significant portion of these suites will be converted from regulated to liberalized, demonstrating the execution of our value-add capital investment program. Turnover was 3.6% for the second quarter of 2021, compared to 3.4% in the prior year period. Rental uplift on that turnover continues to improve, however, at 16.9% compared to the 11.5% uplift achieved in the same period, same prior year period. The ERAS portfolio is well diversified by the number of bedrooms, ensuring we meet the demand for smaller units as well as for families. You can also see that the approximately half of our current portfolio was constructed since 1980, providing an average age of under 40 years, resulting in lower ongoing repairs and maintenance and driving higher asset values. To elaborate further on the balanced mixture of properties that constitute our total portfolio, on slide 8, you can see that over 40% of our current properties are located in the high-growth urban conurbation of the Randstad, with approximately 25% directly located in the cities of Amsterdam, Rotterdam, The Hague, and Utrecht. The rest of the portfolio is situated in smaller urban areas throughout the country. Furthermore, approximately 35% of our portfolio is comprised of single-family homes, also known as Dutch row houses, a segment which represents an additional diversifying and unique contributor to our portfolio mix. 
importantly, our suites, our suites continue to be nearly evenly divided between regulated and liberalized, with a modest weighting toward liberalized, providing balanced growth in rents on turnover and indexation, as well as the opportunity to liberalize more suites. On that note, for rental increases due for rental increases due to indexation beginning on July 1, 2021, during the quarter, ERES served tenant notices to 94% of its liberalized suites, across which the weighted average rental increase due to indexation was 2.3%. This was in line with the recently enacted government legislated maximum annual indexation for liberalized suites of CPI plus 1% that is effective for an initial period of three years from May 1, 2021 up to and including April 30, 2024 combined with the Dutch government's inflation of 1.4%. The rents of tenants of regulated suites were not indexed in compliance with the Dutch government's maximum indexation for all regulated suites set at 0%, effective for the one-year period from July 1, 2021, up to and including June 30, 2022. Inclusive of these regulated suites which were not indexed, our weighted average average rental increase due to indexation was 1.5% based on tenant notices served on the total portfolio. In the context of these legislative developments, we remind you that our rental growth strategy not only revolves around increased rents on annual indexation, but is rather trifold and based also upon turnover and the conversion of regulated suites to liberalized suites. Importantly, these recent set of regulations do not apply to rent uplifts on turnover or capex-driven increases. Accordingly, when these uplifts on indexation are co combined with our strong trend growth in turnover, especially in the regulated to liberalized category, we still expect to continue to achieve rental growth in our target range of 3 to 4%. Further, since inception, ERES has been successfully operating within a complex regulatory regime, which constitutes one of our key competitive advantages a competence that is now becoming increasingly more valuable. Considering the uniquely diverse composition of our balanced portfolio between urban and suburban, regulated and liberalized, and across single-family and multifamily properties, we are well-positioned to continue operating efficiently and strategically within this continually fluid and dynamic Dutch regulatory system. This brings us to slide nine, where I can provide a further update on the Dutch government's response to the COVID-19 pandemic. The substantial government assistance programs enacted since the beginning of the crisis have once again been extended and remain in place, as the Netherlands continues to prioritize the sustenance and well-being of its people and the recovery of its economy, all while simultaneously still confronting an array of spreading variants of the virus. Various social restrictions also remain in place, and with these proactive and unwavering measures and the careful reopening of the country in a stage five-step process, the Dutch government has been able to mitigate as much as possible the adverse impact of the outbreak. Combined with its strong market fundamentals and an underlying economic stability inherent in the Netherlands, unemployment has remained low and the Dutch economy continues to outperform its Eurozone counterparts, evidencing the effectiveness of these support packages alongside the resiliency of its economy and the robustness and market dynamics throughout the country. And with that, I will now turn the call over to Stephen. Operator, um, we're, we're getting a feedback that uh, the line is not open or the call is silent. 
Oh, um, I can hear you very clearly. Okay, it's back. Okay. All right, thank you, Philip. As you can see on slide, <clears throat> excuse me, slide 11, our operating metrics indeed continues to steadily improve. Our operating revenues increased by 9% to 18.7 million euros in the three months ended June 30th, 2021, from 17.2 million in the quarter ended June 30th, 2020, primarily due to the creative acquisitions since the prior year period and an increase in average monthly rent on the stabilized portfolio. Our NOI increased by even more, up 1% to 14.7. Stephen, I hate to interrupt. Um, but, Paul, I, I also am continuing to receive messages that there's no audio for the investors, the participants. Is there a way we can confirm that? At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Um, I, I, on my side, I can hear you very clearly. Um, what I'm hearing, the participants are supposed to be hearing as well, because we're all in the same virtual room. <clears throat> <clears throat> they, they hear us now, uh, given the, the feedback from, from my team. Okay, very good. Sorry, Stephen, continue. Okay. Sorry for the convenience. Yeah, no worries. <clears throat> so our NOI increased by an even more by 11% to $14.7 million for the three months ended June 30th, 2021, compared to 13.1 million euros during the second quarter of 2020. Likewise, driven by contribution from acquisitions since the prior year period, as well as higher monthly rents on stabilized properties. This was further complemented by a decrease in property operating costs as a percentage of operating revenues, predominantly due to the recognition of a non-recurring rebate from the government for landlord levies. The rebate is a result of an acquisition of a shell entity completed last year which contained rights to a rebate from the government for land, landlord levy rebates payable, for which we paid 51 cents for every euro of rebate, totaling to a credit in the amount of 1.3 million euro. The net reduction to landlord levy expense of 308,000 recognized this quarter represents 50% of the rebate utilized for the first six months of fiscal 2021, with the remainder to be recognized in the second half of the year. In aggregate, this drove total portfolio NOI margins to increase to 78.2% for the quarter ended June 30th, 2021, compared to 76.2% in the comparative prior year period. Excluding the impact of the landlord levy rebate, NOI margin for the total portfolio still increased to 76.5% for the three months ended June 30th, 2021. FFO and AFFO increased by 13% and 11% respectively, compared to the second quarter of 2020, while FFO per unit and AFFO per unit increased by 15% and 10% respectively, compared to Q2 2020. The increases were driven by the positive impact of the increased 
stabilized NOI and accretive acquisitions since the comparative prior year period, in addition to the partial recognition of the landlord levy rebate net of taxes of 246,000 euros. It is expected that the remaining landlord levy rebate net of taxes of approximately 246,000 to positively impact FFO and AFFO in the second half of the year. The resilient trend line established by our consistently improving operating results continues onto slide 12. As Philip mentioned, our residential suite count, I'm getting messages again that our audio is coming in and out. Operator, would you be able to check um, what's happening? Um, okay. Uh... Because again, I can hear you clearly all through, but let me see if, uh, uh, would you like me to open up the lines and uh, maybe they can they can they, they can express themselves directly on the uh, conference? Mm, I don't think that's a good idea. No, okay, um, it's, cutting, okay. it's cutting in and out. It's cutting in and out. So they they heard a lot of mine. They missed some, and they were hearing Stephen, and now they're not hearing Stephen. Hmm. There are, there are there are those that are hearing it perfectly throughout. So maybe it's just right a because uh, I I can hear you clearly. Uh, it's it's it sounds very clear. So I'm, I'm not sure continue exactly Steven. what's going on. I'm okay. sorry. We'll, I'm sorry. We'll continue then. Okay. Um, as Philip mentioned, our residential suite count increased by 10% since the same time last year, evidencing our ability to acquisitively grow and ultimately execute on our growth-oriented strategic objectives, even during these unprecedented times. Our residential occupancy did decrease to 98% as at June 30th, 2021, compared to 98.8% as at June 30th, 2020. However, this is largely due to the recent acquisition of our newly built De Horizon property that was fully vacant as at period end. On a stabilized basis, residential occupancy was 98.5% at the current period and down only slightly from the 98.8% in the comparative prior year period. Majority of the vacancy in the current period is due to units under renovation, pursuant to our execution of our value enhancing capital expenditure program. Stabilized occupied average monthly rent increased by 4%, demonstrating the top line rental growth that we continue to achieve supporting an even higher 5.3% growth in net operating income on our stabilized portfolio. Similar to the total portfolio, the latter was magnified by the lower proper property operating costs as a percentage of operating revenues, predominantly due to the recognition of the landlord levy rebate. Together, this drove stabilized NOI margin to increase to 78.1% for the three months ended June 30, 2021, compared to 76.3% for the same period last year. Excluding the landlord levy rebate, which I mentioned, NOI margin on the stabilized portfolio still increased to 76.4% for the three months ended June 30th, 2021. Our liquidity position continues to support our business endeavors and remains conservative and strong as at June 30th, 2021, as you can see on slide 13. Amid the unpredictability of the capital markets, ERES has been able to maintain its debt-to-gross book value within its target range of 45% to 50%, lower its weighted average mortgage-effective interest rate, reflecting the persistently low financing rates throughout the European Union, and maintain the conservative terms of maturity on its mortgage portfolio. 
even with a temporary incremental draw on our credit facilities to fund our recent acquisitions, we still have immediate available liquidity of over 200 million euros as of June 30th, 2021, which includes the 165 million euro pipeline agreement from CAPRI that provides us with an acquisition capacity in excess of 400 million euros. Our credit facility draws will be replaced with long-term mortgage financing during the third quarter of 2021 which will free up our lines and therefore further improve our liquidity position. And that brings me to slide 14, which provides more detail on our staggered mortgage portfolio, with the nearest debt maturity not occurring until December 2022. In addition, we expect to close on our new mortgage financing in Q3 of 2021, which will also be combined with a profitable refinancing of an existing mortgage on the initial portfolio originally expiring in 2023 that will further improve our mortgage renewal profile. In addition, the majority of our mortgages are non-amortizing. As we continue to grow, we will ensure that we maintain this smooth maturity profile in order to reduce renewal risk. Thank you for your time this morning, and I would now turn things back over to Philip to wrap up. Thanks, Stephen. In summary, I would like to re-emphasize the robustness of ERES's operating model and strategy, the economic and real estate fundamentals of the European multi-residential market, and the expertise of management are together continuing to drive consistently strong operating results quarter after quarter as we continually see work towards spreading the ERES story. This most recent quarter represents the beginning of only our third year of operations, but has once again reinforced a growing reputation for reliable, robust robust growth, both internally and externally. The long-term positive metrics that characterize the Dutch multi-residential market and the abundance of growth opportunity in that market supports each of these endeavors in the short-term and long-run achievement of our strategic objectives. In this regard, we believe that ERES offers a compelling investment opportunity the REIT provides a unique opportunity to invest in the fast-growing and attractive European multi-residential real estate market. Our partnership with CapReIT brings significant benefits to our unit holders. We are growing our portfolio at very attractive yield spreads with strong and highly accretive organic and external growth opportunities. We've established a strong foothold in the Netherlands multi-res market, and we are building size and scale to drive value going forward. Our conservative balance sheet and financial position provides the flexibility and resources to drive further growth, and we have in place an experienced management team and a seasoned board of directors. Thank you for your time this morning, and we would now be pleased to take any questions you may have. Thank you. Yes, we will now take questions from the telephone lines. If you have a question and you are using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before making your selection. If you have a question, please press star 1 on the device's keypad. You may cancel your question at any time by pressing star 2. So please press star 1 at this time if you have a question. There will be a brief pause while the participants register. We thank you for your patience. First question is from Jonathan Kelter from TD Securities. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Thank you. Uh, good morning. Hey, Jonathan. Good morning, Jonathan. Um, first question, just on the De Horizon um, property, uh, 
the being fully leased by October, um, is, is that faster or slower than it might have otherwise been if uh, there was no changes to the to the rules on liberalized rents? I don't think the the rules on on liberalized rents has an impact. You know, that only reflects indexation. It doesn't reflect turnover. So this is basically as if you know all suites were turned over, if you will, because we're starting at, at zero occupancy. So we can bring everything. Yeah, well, I guess I'm kind of asking if you're going a little bit slower, um, just to sort of make sure you maximize the the first rents you get because of, because you are going to be limited on. Uh, on renewals. No, I, I, I think our pace is we, we want to get it uh, uh, fully occupied as as soon as uh, as soon as we can, uh, as soon as pragmatic. And uh, we think the the market, particularly uh, in, in the Amsterdam market at, at this price point, is incredibly strong and robust. So you know we're not we're not slowing down to to try and uh, push rents you know, a little bit harder. Um, we're going to ensure that we maximize rents with the initial letting. Okay. And what is the, the price point? What sort of rents are you, are you looking for? It's going to be in the sort of 1600 range. Okay. And then the, the um, I guess, developer you bought this from, are there, is going forward, are there opportunities to do more deals? There could be. Uh, this was actually a unique situation where the developer is a housing association. So as, as you will know from you know, our chats previously, Housing associations are generally in the business of uh, and mandated to provide affordable or regulated housing. And, and when they started developing this asset, they would have anticipated it being significantly in, in the affordable space. But just as the market has continued to move on, rents have continued to go up, values have continued to go up. As they were approaching completion, they realized that it was going to be a liberalized asset, and that's really not part of their mandate. Uh, so they are just rotating capital, uh, and they are, you know, continuing to redeploy that capital, and they're actually developing other assets very close to um, the, the Horizon asset now. Um, whether or not, you know, those ultimately end up being, you know, regulated or affordable, or they might have the same dynamic happen to them, um, it's to be to see, to be seen. But it was also a broken deal, which was very positive for us. So we were able to step in and demonstrate to a housing association that we're a good counterparty. So to the extent that they have something that would be appropriate or that they would be keen to, to sell, I think that puts us in very good standing. Um, you know, as an international investor, not necessarily Dutch, I, I think our reputation for being a good counterparty is, is further enhanced, you know, now that we can, you know, successfully um, uh, transact with the housing authority. Okay. Um, and then just uh, my, my last question would be, it's been, it's been a couple of months now since the regulation changes have uh, have come in. Have you Have you guys seen a difference in the acquisition market, either uh, more properties for sale, or maybe some buyers pulling back. Yeah, I mean, sorry, Jonathan, I, I missed some of that question, but I think I got it. I mean, and I apologize to everybody on the line that there's been some audio problems uh, today. I don't know why, but we apologize. But you know, if the question was, due to the regulatory changes, have we changed? Um, the, the pipeline was anticipated to be slow. 2021, as we've discussed, just given the high volume that came out in Q4, um, 
as I mentioned, uh, the, the G Horizon asset was a broken situation that we stepped into. The Villa 19 was an off-market uh, opportunity that wasn't marketed. So, you know, we continue to work, you know, on that front to ensure that we can try and get some, some you know, deal flow outside the normal processes. But even within the normal processes, the deal flow is picking up. Um, I think it's part of the natural cycle. You know, those people that have traditionally been sellers are still looking to rotate capital. And because the asset class has performed so well over the last 18 months, um, I, I don't think it's affecting the, the deal pipeline such that, you know, people are going to be, you know, selling more assets because they're worried about future regulations. I mean, regulations, you know, they come and go, as you know. Um, you know, our results are demonstrating that even with the, the new constraints or, or the new parameters, you know, we're still delivering very attractive rental growth. So, you know, that makes it and, con and continues uh, to reaffirm that it's a great place to deploy capital. If you can get 3 to 4% top-line rental growth and, and you can buy a good yield spreads, you know, even in a regulatory environment, uh, you know, that's very attractive. So, you know, people are, are going to rotate their assets, and I think the second half of the year we'll see more of that. Um, but again, I don't see any you know, dynamics coming from those regulatory changes that are making people sell when they otherwise wouldn't have. Okay, that, uh, that's helpful. Thanks. I'll turn it back. Thank you. The next question is from Matt Logan from RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Thank you, and good morning. Hey, Matt. Good morning, Matt. Wondering if you can talk about your leasing velocity and how pricing is tracking in your markets. Yeah, I mean, I think you just have to sort of look at um, our, our Q2, you know, turnover and turnover uplifts, and you can look at our, our six months year to date, and, you know, everything is trending up from the prior, period core, prior periods, whether you look at it on a quarter-over-quarter quarter basis or a six-month-on-a-six-month basis. Um, you know, the, the housing market uh, in the Netherlands continues to be, you know, very, very um, robust, if you will. I mean, house price inflation um, for the past 12 months to June was up very, very substantially, the highest it has been, I think, in 10 years. Um, you know, having said that, um, over the, the past 10 years, you know, house price inflation has been, you know, doubling uh, rental inflation. So, you know, from a rental perspective, it's probably becoming more and more um, of, of a stronger market uh, because, you know, house prices going up so fast, you know, people don't necessarily have an opportunity to do something other than rent. And I think you're seeing that in our turnover numbers and, well, not so much in the turnover rate. It's staying pretty, pretty consistent, but you're seeing it in our turnover uplifts. Uh, again, not being insensitive to, to what that means to our customers and to our tenants, but, you know, right now um, we're, we're seeing the ability to get, you know, sustainable uh, uplifts on our turnover. And when we look ahead to perhaps a bit of a more normalized uh, economy, do you expect demand or pricing would increase as the Dutch economy opens up, similar to other jurisdictions across the world, or has Perhaps uh, the economy in the Netherlands performed uh, better over the past 12 months, and we wouldn't necess necessarily see that same reacceleration. Honestly, I, I don't, I don't anticipate a reacceleration because it's accelerating anyway, right? As I just explained, um, and, and that's driven by the housing shortage more than anything else. Right? It, it still continues to be the case that you know there is an enormous housing shortage which isn't being addressed, and, and that's really you know, one of the core fundamentals of why it makes it such a good landlord market. 
Um, you know, COVID has been very difficult for the Netherlands. You know, I, I don't want to you know, suggest otherwise, but you know, on a relative basis, uh, the Netherlands has has done okay during the COVID period. I mean, unemployment rates are about where they were. Um, you know, pre-COVID. So, um, yes, I think the Dutch economy is going to recover, of course. Um, you know, there is going to be accelerated economic activity, but does that translate into, you know, turbocharging, you know, what we're seeing in our market uh, from our perspective? I don't think so because we're already seeing very, very positive year-on-year trends in terms of our ability to uplift our rents on, on turnover in particular. And so maybe just rolling it up, would you say big picture, your outlook for top line growth of three to four percent and NOI margins of call it seventy six to seventy seven percent would be unchanged from last quarter? No, I think that's right. Um, I mean, we we remain absolutely confident in our ability to stay in that three to four percent top line growth. And, you know, as as we say, you know, NOI margins between 75 and 77 percent are, are really where um, we think people should be doing. And, and we're sort of at the top end of that range on a normalized basis, even if you exclude um, some of the, the tax uh, stuff that we did this this past quarter. In terms of your recent acquisitions, you have the conversion of regulated deliberized suites at your villa property and the lease up of the uh, horizon. How should we think about the organic growth potential from those assets over the next three years? Or maybe said differently, yeah, I mean, where do you where do you think the yield could rise to on, on a three year look back? Yeah, I mean on, on those properties, I mean you have one that's hundred percent liberalized already, um and then which is horizon and then you have um Villa nineteen, which uh, it's it's hundred and change units and there's only a, a couple of units anyways that are, are regulated. So um we would expect, you know, those to or there's a good chance that those will be um liberalized at turnover with, you know, little incremental capex because the building was completely refurbished in two thousand and nineteen. So, you know, those these two assets really are in a re- regulated to liberalized story. Um these assets are more uh, a typical already liberalized play uh, again where you're seeing our uplifts you know being in the 10 to 12 percent range on turnover you know these are you know very good markets you know some people may never have heard of Arnhem but we have existing assets there and it's a very strong market uh, in the east of the Netherlands so you know I think that these two assets should perform consistent with what we're sort of seeing generally across our liberalized suites and um, the, the the horizon asset is in central Amsterdam we were very pleased to be able to buy this assets. It's it's very close to the central train station. Um, again, it's sort of a, a, a new uh, new market, developing market near the docks. Uh, so we think the long-term prospects for, you know, organic or market rental growth, they are very positive as well. So again, not a regulated to liberalized conversion play, but, you know, we think the, the fundamentals of their sub-markets are very strong or we would expect the, the market rents to, to go up uh, meaningfully over time. And maybe one last housekeeping item for me. Could you just tell us where you're seeing indicative rates for long-term debt? Um, we're, with our last. Oh, go ahead, Stephen. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're seeing uh, very consistent rates compared to our last uh, financing that we did in uh, in December. Um, so we're we can get um, six-year debt at just one percent now. And uh, there's uh, you know, long-term financing. You can still probably get for seven-year, like 1.1. So they're very good financing rates at this point. Stephen Phillips, appreciate the commentary. I will turn the call back. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Kyle Stanley from Desjardins. Please go ahead. Your line is open. 
Thanks. Morning, guys. Hey, Kyle. Morning, Kyle. Could you elaborate just a little bit more on the landlord levy rebate? Uh, and, you know, just wondering, are there other opportunities to realize, realize rebates, um, you know, in a similar fashion? Yeah, sure. Um, so the landlord levy rebate is uh, the government actually provides subsidies to, to, um, to businesses that develop uh, affordable housing. And what we, so the, the rebates are actually tied to the, the shell companies. They don't tie to the, the actual properties. Um, so what we end up doing is there's actually, it's very common practice in the Netherlands. Um, and there's a lot of opportunities out there where we can actually buy uh, these rebates for 50 cents for every euro. Um, so I wouldn't, I would say that uh, we are, we are looking at this. Um, it is beneficial, and I would say, uh, not in the when, when we do have it, we will probably uh, mention it in our MDNA. But uh, yeah, we are looking at this uh, as a good opportunity, good financial management for us. But it, it's a product of developers not holding the assets for rent. The developers then sell on the entire building or, or the units one at a time, so they end up with uh, the, the, the shell company, as Stephen mentioned. But you know they're not in the long-term rental business, so uh, you can you can buy those shells and then apply those credits. Okay, great. And then so in this situation, this would be in addition to any potential rebates offered by the government in relation to the uh, enhanced rent control that was implemented earlier this year. That's correct. Okay. Are there any updates uh, with regards to that? Any, I guess, anything that's come out uh, since we last spoke? There no is further not. I mean, the, the yeah. I mean, the government um, has, I mean, the, the new parliamentarians have taken their seats, but as is often the case, uh, and it continues to be in this case, there still hasn't been a government formed, uh, i.e. the coalition parties that have yet to agree the government. So there's really not... Uh, a lot of initiatives on any legislative fronts that are moving forward, you know, absent, you know, imperative things, including dealing with COVID to the extent required. Okay, great. Uh, and then just turning over to the the lift on turnover, uh, you know, we've talked about it a little bit so far, but I was just looking at the, you know, the significant lift on your uh, suite conversions, uh, I think closer to 50% this quarter. Was this primarily just a suite mix phenomenon or are you, are, is rent growth for these new assets, uh, you know, just really that strong? It, it's more of a, a suite situation, right? I mean, it just depends upon, you know, where um, that regulated suite or that regulated unit is geographically. It depends upon, you know, how long, you know, that tenant has been in there, et cetera. So, you know, I don't think you can say, extrapolate that across the board, you know, it's running, you know, 50% higher or 20% higher. Um, but again, we continue to, you know, optimize everything that we can, um, and we optimize it to the maximum amount that we can. So I think it's, you know, probably more a product of sweet mix that we liberalized uh, at that particular time, given the, the, the prior periods. But again, we're, we're always in the 30, 35, 40, and now we're getting close to 50. Uh, so there's always that you know really high juice that we can get from that liberalization program uh, as we work through our portfolio of existing assets or as we buy more assets in the future that may have regulated suites that are a candidate for liberalization. Okay, great. And, and just one last one for me, just on the uh, 35 million euro fair value gain, uh, would you be able to just discuss uh, some of the, the key drivers to, to that gain? Yeah, so the, the key drivers are... Um, I mean, we see the, the strong rental uplift, so it's really a driven off of the, the NOI or stabilized NOI 
uh, in the models. So, um, as you see in the market and it's reflected in our operating results, uh, there is strong rental uplifts in included in that. Okay, great. That's it for me. I'll turn the call back. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. The next question is from Timanshu Gupta from Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Thank hey, you and good morning. So uh, just morning, on, the supply, on the supply side, uh, I mean, you mentioned D Horizon you bought from Housing Association. Uh, so uh, who is contributing more supply in the market today? I mean, is it housing associations or private developers? And then in the light of, you know, recent announcements, would private developers slow down any, any indication there? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's, a, you know, a bit similar to Jonathan's question. So, again, it was, you know, quite quiet in the first half of the year, um, but we're starting to, to see, you know, portfolios come back into the market. Um, and it's, again, it, it's the traditional players, right? It's, you know, of course, there's, there's always new development opportunities where you can forward fund or, or forward purchase, which, again, you know, there are people doing that, and, and it doesn't really work for e res strategy. But if we talk about, you know, the volume or the supply of, you know, existing product that's available for sale, you know, what we've bought historically have been the pension funds and the insurance companies, you know, rotating their portfolios where, you know, they have assets that, you know, maybe are regulated or a combination of regulated or liberalized. It's, it's harder. It's more asset management intensive. You know, they prefer to deploy that capital into the liberalized assets, which they perceive as being easier to manage, et cetera. Uh, and they, you know, brought a lot of that product to the market in the second half of last year. And historically, it's been a little bit more or a little bit less seasonal, if you will. Um, but now you're seeing, you know, those those pension funds, those insurance companies, uh, those type of, of players, what the Dutch call the institutional market, but it has a slightly different definition than what we would call it, um, now coming back into the portfolio. There's a couple of portfolios that are in the market right now, and uh, according to, to our sources, there, there's more to come in the second half of the year. So, again, I don't see there you know, being or having been a, a big rotation in, in terms of the traditional sellers with whom we transact to. I, I just or we just have seen or witnessed that there was a pause for the first half of 2021, which was you know, quite frankly anticipated. So we think it was, you know, very good that we were able to, uh, you know, find the off-market deals, be able to step in on D-Horizon and continue to, to have some acquisition momentum, uh, even when the overall market was a bit quiet in the first half of 2021. Okay, uh, that's great, Color. Uh, my question was more on the new supply itself. Uh, I mean, like, who is building new supply? I know you, you spoke about the investment volumes in the deal flow, but... Uh, is there any slowdown in the new supply by private developers or housing associations who are contributing new product in the market? No, I don't think there is. I mean, um, I, I think there there continues to be a pipeline of new supply um, with the housing associations being focused more on the regulated affordable side and, and the other you know, more independent developers being focused on the liberalized market. Um, but we don't feel that that, that is, you know, hurting our, our market or our ability to perform um, with you know, excess supply in any way because it's still um, falling short of the required new deliveries um, just to maintain the current position. So the current position is continuing to get worse in terms of, you know, required new housing units versus, versus new housing units delivered. 
So um, yes, it's it's still coming. Uh, there's 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 some bottlenecks right now in terms of capacity to build, et cetera. It's always quite slow getting planning in the Netherlands, but I, I haven't or we haven't seen a, a dramatic shift in terms of that oncoming supply. But you know we know and all of the the market data suggests that you know the supply of, of new units is still insufficient uh, to to keep the uh, that current housing sh uh, shortage from getting worse. So. Uh, we don't perceive it as, as a problem or a risk. Got it. Uh, that's helpful. Uh, and just sticking to the acquisitions there, the cap rate is 3.3 cap rate on the two acquisitions combined. So do you assume the full stabilization of the Horizon property in this assumption of 3.3? Say that again, Hamanshu. Uh, so uh, I think the cap rate you are expecting on the two acquisitions is 3.3%. Uh, so are you assuming full stabilization of the property? Uh, in this assumption. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so that's a blended of the two, and Horizon would have been on the, the lower end of that blend, and uh, Villa 19 would have been on the higher end of that blend. But yes, that assumes a stabilized uh, Horizon. Yeah, and, and I assume the cap rate is lower because it's a newly developed property. And uh, do you expect like better rent, uh, rent growth profile as well on this property? Yeah, I mean, it is a new build. Uh, Villa 19 was completely refurbished in 2019, but it really reflects the difference in the markets. So you, you're in, you know, central Amsterdam on one versus a very strong, but, you know, still um, non-Randstad location uh, with Villa 19 in Arnhem. Okay, okay, that's fine. Uh, that's fair enough. Uh, and then maybe just a follow-up question on the demand side. Uh, so uh, can you comment on external factors such as immigration, you know, expat or foreign students? Uh, like, is the border now open for EU nationals for uh, Netherlands? And do you see it as a factor which can help demand further? Yeah, so um, as I've often said, I think there's a lot of parallels between the Netherlands and Canada, um, where you have organic, you know, uh, household formation growth as well as immigration. You know, immigration was globally shut down last year, uh, but immigration is starting to come back into the Netherlands. Uh, as the, the Europe, European borders are open and then the Netherlands is, is also more open. Again, they, they, they had a, a bit of a scare a few weeks ago uh, with cases, but that's now come, coming back down. So most of their restrictions are lifted. Some of the big group events are not. Uh, so, yeah, I think that immigration that is historically paid a, uh, a part uh, and the household growth household you know, formation growth um, is going to come back in the Netherlands, and we're starting to see that. But again, just recognizing the defensiveness of our portfolio, even when that immigration was, was shut down because of COVID, we can just we, we continue to, to move our business in the right direction. And I think that's, you know, largely a function of our split. You know, we're really not focused on the expat community so much. We're not focused on students. Uh, you know, we're just more the normal, you know, Dutch residents working normal jobs. And we have good split between the Randstad, outside the Randstad. We have good split between regulated liberalized. And, you know, we have our, you know, single family, you know, portfolio as well. So, you know, I, I'm all for, and we're very supportive of that immigration. And ultimately, of course, you know, helps increases the positive fundamentals, uh, but we didn't really see a negative impact on our business when, when that slowed down, but you know, very happy to see it come back, and it can only be positive for us going forward. All right. Okay. That's helpful. And my last question is on the acquisition pipeline. I mean, realistically, how much more you can buy in this year? I mean, you kick-started with, I think, almost 50 million euro of acquisitions. How much you can do in the rest of the year? 
Um, quite frankly, from a liquidity perspective, I don't think we're constrained at all because you know we have our undrawn capacity on our line. When we do the refinancing, that line will almost be completely uh, cutting down again, so that allows us even more capacity. Plus, we have the cap, line, cap re, uh, pipeline facility, so there's no liquidity capacity whatsoever in our ability to continue to grow. The one thing we can't directly influence is that pipeline uh, of opportunities. But again, you know what we're seeing and hearing and expecting is that um, the pipeline will will come back to a more normalized amount, you know, going into the second half of the year. And again, we're aware that there are certain portfolios coming out now. So um, I think we should be able to get our fair share of that. And I'm, you know, quite optimistic that we'll do further external growth going into the second half of the year. Awesome. So we have Thank no constraints on our side of no constraints on our side of the business in terms of the ability to grow. Got it. Totally understand that. And thank you so much. And I'll turn back. Thank you. The next question is from Dean Wilkinson from CIBC. Please go ahead, sir. Your line is open. Thanks. Morning, everybody. Hey, Dean. Morning, Dean. Or at, or afternoon, as it were. Um, and and just just for the record, I've been able to hear everything fine. Um, Philip, sorry to hear that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, there was a lot of consternation after the last the, the last quarter, just on the, the regulatory environment, and and perhaps it it you know it, it glossed over the exceptional strength in, in turnovers, and you know this quarter was even stronger than 2020, stronger than 2019, and you talked to some of those trends. When you look at how things look going forward, and as we come out of COVID. Is there an expectation that you think that the, the turnover metrics could actually increase? And, and what did you see on, on July 1st? Yeah, I mean, I mean that's a great question, and, and, and we talk about that a lot internally. I mean, you have seen a very pronounced, um, relatively steady, but very pronounced quarter on quarter over the past couple of years of an increase in turnover uplifts. Um, our turnover rate has, you know, within 100 basis points has stayed pretty steady. Um, so, you know, I don't see that moving dramatically. Um, again, if our occupancy goes up a little bit, then our turnover goes up a little bit as we remediate it. But I, I don't expect or anticipate a, a, a very pronounced, you know, change in our, our turnover percentage. But we have seen that consistent and material uh, positive trend in the uplifts on turnover. And I really, you know, put that down to the, the housing dynamics, right? I mean, there is, any, there is a massive shortage of housing. House price inflation is extreme. Um, rental inflation is going up also, but at about 50 percent of house price inflation so it continues to give us pricing power um, again I, I don't necessarily think that's a, a in perpetuity thing we don't know um, but so long as there isn't something meaningfully done to to address the fundamental problem of a supply shortage I think that is a very good place for us to be as a supplier of rental product so I, I would expect to see this trend continuing in terms of our mm -hmm. ability to drive these type of rental uplifts and, and in terms of also, it, sorry, I mean, just to finish the point also, you know, as you have the new legislation in place, right, you're building in incremental uplifts, right? So, you know, yeah. before on the, on the liberalized side, we had a lot of freedom to index annually and to the extent that we can't index annually. Um, that means there's always going to be that, that delta between what the then market rate is and what your current indexed rate is. So, you know, as these regulations have come in, yes, you know, they're, they're, they're not preferred, um, but we really aren't losing that value. We're just pushing that value out. 
out a little bit. And that's why you would also expect to see your turnover uplifts, you know, uh, going up as well as there are men serving to catch up on the indexation that you didn't achieve. Well, and that was sort of my second question because it looks like that that, that you know that looks to have stabilized now in maybe a low or or your mid-teen kind of mark-to-market opportunity within those liberalized suites, uh, which is almost double what it was two years ago. Yeah, I mean, I think we need a little bit more um, data to to come to that conclusion, but I do believe that's the right one because keep in mind, last year. Um, we self-imposed a 2.6% cap. I won't repeat mm-hmm. how we got to 2.6, but we self-imposed that. This year, the government basically imposed a 2.4% cap, right? So we're dealing with that one-year effect of the self-imposed cap that we put in place. So I think the market is getting stronger. Again, fundamentals are very much in our favor. I think there's some of that, you know, recapturing the, the indexation that we chose not to get. And then I think going forward, it would be very expected that because now it's imposed upon us as opposed to being voluntary, that will continue. Uh, and so, again, I do believe there is a relatively permanent, you know, catch-up that we will have in our liberalized turnover for the foregone indexation. Yeah, we call that a Canadian problem over here. Um, and in terms of your ability to, to convert uh, the regulated to liberalized, um, you know, that, that seems to have sort of been pretty consistent, you know, 50 to 100 basis points per quarter. Do you think as you go through the back half of the year and into 2022, there may be an increased ability uh, to liberalize those, or or should we be thinking that it's kind of, you know, run rate as it has been sort of the past year or so? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that run rate probably stays the same because, again, you know, you, you, you will see that the regulated suite turnover is, is typically much lower. Um, mm-hmm. There hasn't been a lot of volatility in that number, and we can only convert when they turn over. So yep. the only thing – and you, you have only a portion of your, your resident or your regulated units that are liberalizable anyway because of their size, et cetera. So you're always you – know, we sort of use the general you know, rule of thumb, 50% of our regulated suites are, are probably liberalizable. But regardless of that, you still have to wait for them to turn. And so yep. the only thing that would you know, significantly increase that volume um, or that velocity would be an increase in regulated turnover. Perfect. Okay, that's it for me. Thanks. Thank you. The next question is from Matt Kornack from National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi, guys. Uh, Just a quick follow-up on Dean's questioning there with regards to uh, regulated versus liberalized. Uh, Liberalized is a portion of your portfolio has crept up. It's approaching, I guess, 60% now. Some of that's on conversions, but I think acquisitions drove it as well. And your thoughts going forward, just as you target acquisitions in the back half of the year, is there a difference in view as to whether you want regulated versus liberalized exposure at this point, or are you still kind of hoping to be somewhere in the 50-50 range? Yeah, I mean... It, it all comes down to to price um, versus you know expected you know return or yield on those assets. So um, we very much like the construction of our portfolio, a good mix between the two regulated and liberalized. We like a good mix between Randstad not. Um, we do like the fact that we have a third single family um, housing as well. So you know we were closer to 50/50 as you say. We're we're now 40/60. You know regulated liberalized, and we don't have you know set in stone parameters of what we want that mix to be. Some of it depends upon what comes out. You know, if if people are selling regulated units, we would, you know, 
as aggressively chase that at the appropriate price and underwriting as we would as aggressively chase, you know, a liberalized portfolio at the appropriate price and underwriting. So, and I think, you know, 40, 60, 50, 50, um, we don't attribute a big difference between that. What is important for us is to continue to have that mix, you know, as well as continue to have a mix between Ronstadt and Nod, as well as have that, you know, you know, significant component of single family, because we think that overall creates a good portfolio mix, takes a lot of the volatility, you know, out of the portfolio in any given um, economic situation. So, we're always going to seek to have a, a good balance of both, but you know, 40-60 versus 50-50 is, isn't a big driver uh, for us in terms of our uh, underwriting strategy or, or what we're seeking to buy. Fair enough. That no, makes sense. And then uh, just a quick accounting one for me, Stephen, on uh, cash taxes. Um, I think it's been around like high 500,000s, low 600,000s for the last two quarters, but that's a bit above where it was last year. What, what should we think of for the remainder of the year? And uh, I guess, is this a good run rate? Yeah, I think this is a good run rate for the, the back half of the year. Um, so that 500,000 is a good good number. Um, okay. But I mean, we, we tend to, we are going to manage around that four to 8% uh, effective tax rate uh, uh, using FFO as a basis. Okay, so if you scale the portfolio, it will increase. Yes. Fair enough. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Once again, please press star one on the device's keypad if you have a question. The next question is from Brad Sturgis from Raymond James. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi there. Um, maybe maybe just another uh, modeling question. Just on the NOI margin, um, a little bit uh, higher in the quarter, just thoughts on what the guidance or run rate might be um, for uh, for margin going forward? Yeah, I think we've been <clears throat> guiding like 75 to 77% NOI margin. I mean, this quarter was a bit higher just because of the, the landlord levy rebate, which contributed about 200 basis points. But uh, I would say uh, for your modeling, I would go with the 76% uh, margin. Okay, great. And... Um, just one question on the regulatory environment. Um, we've obviously seen some changes. You know, there was some discussion about uh, a proposal on banning private investors to buying houses for the purpose of rental. You know, if, if that were to come into law, Philip, um, you know, how do you see that impacting the multifamily market and, and uh, in particular e-res? Would there be any impact also Depending on what the law looks like on the on the ownership of uh, the Dutch row houses. No, I mean again, you know there there's there's articles on it. Uh, I I hesitate to put too much credibility for legislation that could be really positive or really negative, particularly in a period of time um, where the government hasn't been formed. Uh, but a lot of what I understand about that legislation is really targeted to the Airbnb, quote unquote, investor. You know, people buying up second houses just so they can rent them on Airbnb, particularly, you know, in the big international cities like Amsterdam. So you know, as we understand it, it's really not targeting, you know, professional landlords like us, because again, we have to remember, 
you know, that the housing associations are the biggest players uh, in, in the game. And so it would be very difficult to, to pass legislation that would put them out of business. Um, or you'd have to pass legislation that gives them, um, you know, some sort of different treatment, which would immediately be challenged. So, um, as, as again, as much as we can try and understand it when it's, you know, generally, you know, newspaper articles and, and rumors and whispers, you know, it, it's more targeting the Airbnb guys than it is, you know, a, an institutional uh, landlord like ourselves. Got it. That makes sense. Thanks a lot. I'll turn it back. Thank you. If there are no further questions registered at this time, I will return the call back to Mr. Burns. Well, again, thank you, everybody, for joining us this morning. And if you have any further questions, particularly given uh, the audio difficulties, which, again, we apologize, you know, please do not hesitate to contact either myself or Stephen at any time. Thank you, and have a great day. Thank you. The conference is now ended. Please disconnect your lines at this time, and we thank you for your participation. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.